Okay, guys, so um, we've been talking about Wilderness 40, uh, and it started six weeks ago, and this is, I think, the final week where we exit the wilderness and step into whatever else God wants us to do. And we said when we began that Wilderness 40 is basically the Holy Spirit leading us into a time of drawing aside with God over the last 40 days so that we can return with a greater revelation of God, with greater power, and in the process, prepare ourselves for the post-COVID landscape that awaits us so that the church will no longer be rendered a non-essential service. And I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about us as people. That was the intent with which we started Wilderness 40. And over the last six weeks, we've covered ground. Some of you have drawn aside I know at least one or two of you that uh, took on fast. Someone just concluded their 40-day fast a couple of days ago. Others withdrew from uh, uh, things so that they could set aside time. I was fascinated by how much you try to draw aside and create time with God so that you come back with a greater revelation of Him, with greater power, and prepared for what awaits us. That was the intent. And I believe it was God-led because as I look at the teachings... Uh, and go over them, I, I, I'm, I'm just blessed by what has been taught. And so today we go on to Wilderness 40. The title for today is Deliverer, Deliverer. Wilderness 40, Deliverer. And so this is a, perhaps the last in this series. And next week we start on something else. So if you look at Luke 4.14, Luke 4.14, Luke 4.14, Oi. Luke 4.14. So, uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And so this is immediately after being in the wilderness. If you go to verse 12, uh, verse 13, it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. And it started off with Luke chapter 4, verse 1, where it said, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness or the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. And now we are in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him began to spread. So um, the intent is that if Acts 29 actually did engage in drawing aside, setting time aside to pursue God, then it follows that after you come out of the wilderness, you come out clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, like Jesus. You come out clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, as with Jesus. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, which then begs the question, what does that look like? What does that look like? What does that look like? And to look at, to see what it looks like, go to uh, verse 17, Luke chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. This is what it looks like. 
The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And this is what it looks like. To preach the good news to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To open prison doors. To restore sight to the physically and spiritually blind. To comfort those who mourn. To set captives free. And to declare the year of favor. To declare the year of jubilee or the year of favor. This is what it looks like. So if Acts 29 has done what they are called to do, as in follow God into the wilderness, learn things from the wilderness uh, while we were there, setting time aside, then this is what will happen. That is what it looks like to be clothed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because at the, at the end of the day, the word anointed is basically being completely covered with. So to be clothed with the Holy Spirit would look like this for each of us, for all of us, whether we are online or sitting here. This is what it would look like. To preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to open prison doors, to restore sight to the physical and spiritually blind, to comfort those who mourn, to set captives free, and to declare the year of the favor of the Lord. And all this is accomplished simply by one thing. Anointing or clothing or the power of the Spirit. So Jesus returns as Israel's deliverer from the wilderness. He was baptized, he goes into the wilderness, has an encounter uh, with the enemy, but in the process also has a revelation of who he is and who God is, comes back, and then he comes back as Israel's deliverer. Just like Moses. Moses went into the wilderness, was there for 40 years, confronts Yahweh, not confronts, Yahweh confronts him through the burning bush. And now Moses returns back to Egypt to deliver Israel. It's, it's the same motif that's being played again and again. Moses is rejected by the people he came to. Jesus goes, opens the scroll and reads it, and he is rejected by the people he came to. Just because God calls you and asks you to be a deliverer doesn't mean that the road is easy. Doesn't matter whether it's delivering your children, delivering your parents, delivering people in your neighborhood. Deliverers are not people who have been called and appointed so that they face no resistance. A deliverer is proved in his resistance because deliverer requires being someone who is able to set people free, which means they have to come up against someone who has taken them captive. So there will be resistance. But both Moses and Jesus returned from the wilderness 
And this is what they begin. But the strange thing is it's all by the power of the Holy Spirit. So um, I'm going to pose a question which is just rhetorical. Is this your expectation? Is this your expectation coming out uh, of 40 days of wilderness? This must be your expectation. If you actually did set aside time to draw close to him, then expect the Holy Spirit to respond. The Holy Spirit honors anything that is set apart. Understand this, guys, that setting apart is something that the Holy Spirit loves doing, loves responding to. Every time someone sets themselves apart, the Holy Spirit responds. Every time. He specializes in uh, taking care of anyone who sets himself apart. What does he say to uh, Manoah and his wife? Hey, you're going to have a son. He's going to be a Nazarite. Set him apart. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls on him. What happens to John the Baptist? This boy will be special. He's sent by God. Set him apart. The Holy Spirit falls on him. Whenever a people set themselves apart, it is like a natural provocation that is always, always met with a supernatural response from the Holy Spirit. And when we do not set apart ourselves, then the Holy Spirit has to work on setting us apart. See the difference, guys. On one hand, you have those that do not set themselves apart, which doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit abandons you. Now the Holy Spirit has to take up the arduous work of helping you be set apart. But if you set yourself apart, then the Holy Spirit has the enjoyable work of coming upon you with the kind of power that causes this to happen. Any questions? Is this your expectation? Because, um, uh, or in other words, let me rephrase it. This must be your expectation. This must be your expectation. Come, otherwise, the last 42 days have been wasted. All you lost was a little bit of weight or a bit of watching TV. This must be my expectation for you. This must be my expectation of you. This must be my expectation of God because he's always done this. Any questions? Strangely, it's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to believe. After years, I, I was reading, I mean, I, I've been a Christian for many years, and again, I'm reading John 7, 37 and 38, and I'm fascinated that the only thing required for the Holy Spirit to flow out of you is believing. That's all it says. It says, if you believe, out of you will flow rivers of living water. So this is not even my responsibility. But it is required of me to believe this. You guys, we, we don't we, we can't imagine how much is wrought through believing or taking God at face value or taking his patterns as face value. Part of the reason we should read scriptures is not to get a promise, but to understand patterns and then believe that God, while he is not predictable, has behaviors. That if I do this, this, and this, this is the result because wherever there is sowing, there is reaping. And so I'm going to believe for this for all of us. And I have faith enough for all of us. But if you believe it also, it really helps. 
Any questions? It's not your responsibility except to believe, and if you believe, then the Holy Spirit begins to flow through you. So then, what really did happen in the wilderness? Why did we spend all that time in the wilderness if the Spirit of God was going to do this anyways, and it's not your responsibility? To answer that, uh, here's a question I need to ask. While you were in the wilderness, did you cut a path through the desert for the Spirit to flow in your life? While you were in the wilderness, just like water flows through rocks, did you, while you were in the wilderness, did you over the last 42 days when you drew aside, did you cut a path through the rock, through the deserts of your life to cut a path for the Holy Spirit to flow? In drawing aside, here are the questions you need to ask. In drawing aside, hey, can I have uh, some other pen than a red one? Because there were complaints about the red one last time. Yeah, Derek. Echo, it might hit you, but you never know. Yeah. You just wanted to be on TV. You could have easily thrown it. While you were in the wilderness, did you cut a path through the, through the desert for the spirit to flow? Did you cut a path in your life that would make it easy for the spirit to flow? So here are the questions you need to ask. In drawing aside over the last six weeks, did you increase, did you increase in did you increase in uh, Character or moral excellence? I put these boxes because I, when I went down this list, I realized that I couldn't tick all these boxes. Did you increase in presence-filled power? Did you increase in trusting or yielding to his sovereignty or his absolute rulership where you trust him saying I don't understand this I can't see the light at the end of the tunnel but I trust your sovereignty I trust your good fatherness did you increase in self giving where you give of yourself and that which you have and did you increase in the purity of love for others. These are the things that should have happened. These are the things that always happen when people draw aside and spend time with the creator of the universe. These are the things that always happen with anybody who draws aside and spends time with the creator of the universe. You take Moses, he spent time in the wilderness, he changed. You take uh, Paul, he spent time in the wilderness. He changed. You take Jesus. He spent time in the wilderness. He displayed who he was after that. So this is the list that I want to ask you. Did, did this happen for you in the wilderness? As you look back at the last 42 days, 
Which ones can you tick? tick? Was there a change in your character and your moral excellence, the way you function? Was there a change? Sometimes it takes time for change to be visible, but you know change within you. Was there a difference in terms of how you deal with things very aware of the power of God because you're more aware of his presence. Presence always translates into power. The closer you are to royalty or king, the greater clout you have. Third, did you trust or yield to his sovereignty where things haven't moved, things haven't changed, you don't know what's happening, but you trust and yield to his sovereignty. And his sovereignty is his kingness, his fatherhood, his lordship, his absolute control over everything. And his perfect will, as in his perfect ways of doing things. You are perfect in all your ways. Was there a yielding or trusting of his sovereignty? Fourth, were you self-giving? Have you become more self-giving? Did these last 42 days bring you to a place where you had a loser grip on your money, loser grip on the time, treasure, talent, strength? And the last one is, did, is there an increase in the purity of your love? These are actual measures that you will find in the scriptures again and again to figure out whether someone spent time with God. Because anyone who spends time with God changes. Did you change? I'm just saying I couldn't tick all the boxes. I'm just saying I couldn't tick four boxes. And I'll leave it at that. Don't want to know how many boxes I ticked. So what do we do if we can't go through these boxes and tick them? Hey, continue with this process anyways. Find the areas of deficit and decide that in these areas I'm not going to back off. I'm going to press forward. Character or moral excellence. How have your habits changed? How have your behaviors changed? How have you changed in terms of purity? Not purity of love, but purity of character. Did it get worse or did it get better? Or was it Kamsi Kamsa? Any questions? Moses, Jesus, Paul chiseled into their lives these traits. And when you chisel into your lives these traits, the strange thing that happens is the Holy Spirit who has seen that you have set yourself apart now finds easy pathways in your life to flow through. It's like a river suddenly finding a secret gorge in the rock face that it rushes through because it doesn't have to spend years creating a pathway. It has found a pathway because you were at work. Jesus changes people. Regardless of whether you spend time with him or not, if Jesus is in your life, there is change. And therefore, if there is no change, I must begin to question my relationship with Jesus Christ. Not whether he's present or absent, but whether he is active. And the only reason Jesus is inactive is when I forcibly do not yield my will to him. And he'll tolerate that for a while, but because he loves me, he'll begin to discipline me. Because Hebrews chapter 12 says, which father does not discipline his children. If he did not discipline you, you are illegitimate. 
that's on the side. Okay, any questions? Please go through this list. I can give you person after person in the Bible who was changed in these. The disciples, my God, those disciples were changed, man. They changed in their character. They changed in the power that they exuded. They changed in their ability to trust God. They changed in giving everything. They changed in the purity of their love. So much so that people would say, we know that these guys have hung around with Jesus. So, you are to return, we are to return, I am to return from the wilderness as a deliverer. But here's the thing, man, with being a deliverer. You cannot deliver, you cannot deliver that which, you cannot deliver that which you will not lay your life down in birth pangs or death. This is where God is going to take us over the next few weeks. So Jacob, you set yourself apart as a church for the last 42 days. You drew next to me. The Holy Spirit always honors those that set themselves apart. Some of you have pressed in and you can tick off of two or three boxes. Some of you can tick all five. You've created pathways in your life through which the Holy Spirit can flow. And you are now being sent, anointed by the Spirit, to be deliverers, ones who deliver others. But Jacob, here's a question I want to ask you then. Acts 29, here's a question I'm asking you. Uh, if you want to be a deliver, deliverer, I want you to know that you cannot deliver that which you will not lay your life down for in birth pangs or death. I'm not, uh, I'm not playing around with words. I'm not trying to give you a nice sermon. You must understand that there's a dearth in Acts 29, in our lives, in my life, when it comes to this area. You cannot be a deliverer till you're willing to lay down your life, either in travail and birth pangs so that someone be delivered, or in death so that someone be delivered. If you don't believe me, turn to Exodus 32, 32. Exodus 32, 32. I'll take you through some scriptures. Hey, the unfortunate thing about getting serious about God is that he's too serious about stuff. And so our choice is either to follow down that road or just play church. And so Exodus 32, 32. Moses is in the desert. Israel needs to be delivered. They've made themselves gods of gold. And now Moses says this. But now please forgive their sin. But if not, then erase me out of the book you have written. If you want to deliver somebody... If, you want to be, if we want to be a delivering church, we have to be willing to lay our lives down, either in birth pangs, as in travailing till something is formed, or in death, as in life for life, dying for someone else. 
This is the extreme that Jesus is taking us to. This is what we'll be talking about in the next few weeks. Otherwise, we just pretend delivery. It's not real. Let me show you another scripture. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. I'm reading from the uh, message. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11, reading from the message. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself up as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it, life, life, and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. Out of that terrible travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he experienced, my righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous ones as he himself carries the burden of their sins. That's Jesus. Let's look at Paul. Romans 9. Romans 9. Verse 1 to 3 from the message. Romans 9. Verse 1 to 3 from the message. Ah, I wish I could say this for you, man. You'd have such an amazing pastor if these words were mine. But they're not. Romans 9. 1 to 3 from the message. At the same time, you need to know that I carry with me at all times a huge sorrow. It's an enormous pain deep within me. I'm never free of it. I'm not exaggerating. Christ and the Holy Spirit are my witnesses. It's the Israelites. If there were any way I could be cursed by the Messiah so that they could be blessed by him, I'd do it in a minute. They're my family. This is what I mean by you cannot deliver that which you cannot deliver that which you will not lay your life down, either in travail or in death, either in birth pangs or in death. Let's look at another scripture. Galatians 4.19 from the Passion Translation. Galatians 4.19. from the Passion Translation, and here's what it says. You are my dear children, but I agonize in spiritual labor pains once again until the anointed one will be fully formed in your hearts. You are my dear children, but I agonize in spiritual labor pains once again until the anointed one will be fully formed in your hearts. The actual act of deliverance happens by the spirit guys he sets the captive free he opens blind eyes he opens prison doors he brings comfort to the morning but the person through which it will happen radically are people who begin to operate this way and i'm saying to us at acts 29 that we don't see the engine here or the or, the, or what fuels this whole thing, these scriptures, is not 
uh, is not obedience. It's not like, oh, Father, we are an obedient church. We will go and deliver whoever you tell us to deliver. It's a good thing. It's a biblical thing, but it's not obedience. It's not anointing. Father, anoint us. Anoint us with your spirit. Let Isaiah 61 happen in our lives so that we may go and deliver others. It's not anointing. Anointing is a great thing, but it ain't that. It's not being apostolic, where Father, send us out so that we may represent you accurately and set people free. It is not duty, where, oh God, we are duty-bound as believers. We are called to set others free. No, it's not faith. Father, I have the faith to set this nation free. It's not calling. It's not uh, destiny. It's not nations. At the end of the day, guys, at the end of the day, it is simply this. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. And if this is not there, then you can't be a deliverer. Not the God kind. It is what set you free, man. It's not anointing that set you free. It's the anointed one who behaved a certain way that sets you free. All those things I mentioned are super important. Obedience is important. Anointing is critical. Faith is required. Calling helps you function in a certain way. Destiny allows you to walk with intentionality. Nations are waiting. Being apostolic is biblical. But at the end of the day, you can have all that. And yet this one simple factor can be missing. And that's why I was asking her to sing that song. Because at the end of the day, I am no deliverer. If I'm not engined by, fueled by, motivated by one very simple thing, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, this is how deliverers work. This is why the Spirit of God could fully be upon Jesus, because he was like this. And this is not, you, you can't, it is both corporate and individual. Individuals have to have this burning in their hearts, and the body as a whole has to embrace this. As, this is the only thing we have been called to be. Any questions? And this we don't have in Trump's, guys. This we don't have. We have all those other things, and they're brilliant, and most churches don't have those other things. But this is what we need, and if we have this, we can do whatever God wants to do the way he wants it done. Because anyways, guys, God is calling us to do what we are incapable of doing. And he's calling us to do it by the Spirit. When I was uh, writing this uh, message down, I felt God prompting me to watch this movie that many of you probably have already watched, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. It's about this uh, Seventh-day Adventist called Desmond Doss, who uh, decides that he will not pick up a gun, but he cannot sit at home while World War II is going on. He gets a job in a certain uh, industry during the war, that could do services for the war front. He refuses it. He says, I cannot sit at home while my friends are serving out on the field. And so he registers to uh, join the uh, battlefield. And yet he won't pick up a gun. He says, I will not touch a gun. 
He goes through a lot of uh, difficulties. He gets court-martialed, but at the end of the day, without firing a shot, and uh, in the Battle of Okinawa, on a ridge called uh, um, Hacksaw, he saves 75 people. 75 people. And uh, I wanted to show you the clip, but then realized that to show you a clip in church requires a, um, a certain license, and we don't have that license, so it's it would be illegal to show you the clip. But you can watch it at home. But one of the, one of the things that happens throughout this movie, and I watched the movie Der with Derek yesterday, at least a bit of it, is he's quite injured. He's got blood flowing from different parts of his body. He doesn't touch a gun. And he goes back and starts pulling one person. And this is a true story, by the way, so it's not made up. And so he died in 2006. So he goes, pulls one guy, brings him, and then he lowers him over the cliff, and uh, he gets saved. And he saves 75 people like that. And every time he saves someone, his cry is, one more soul, oh God, one more soul. And when I was watching it, I was thinking of Jeevan. This is what sometimes fuels Jeevan. One more girl, oh God. One more Swati, one more Devi, one more Buji, just one more, one more. I want the same thing to happen for me when it comes to this idea of delivering the earth. If I don't have his overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love, I can be very effective, but it'll still lack the aroma of Yahweh. I don't want to do anything godly that doesn't have the aroma of Jehovah. And so just like Desmond Dawes says, one more soul, and just like Jeevan says, oh God, one more girl or one more kid father that won't kill himself or won't be discarded. It is life for life, guys. It is life on life. It is life to life uh, in the sense that it is deliverance doesn't happen through a prayer. That just causes a demon to leave. It's life for life your life for someone else's life. And by your life, I'm not saying you have to die because Christ has already done that. But I'm saying it requires a pouring out of life. I mean, who here could even dare say that, oh God, I would rather that you curse me and I never see your face and be thrown into eternal damnation so that my family would be served or so that my nation would be served. Who says stuff like that? Who says stuff like Moses did when he says, Oh God, uh, I would that these Israelites, that the rest of my people be saved, so blot me out of your book. But let them be written in. Who says things like this? Where are these people? Where are, I'm not even talking about Jesus. I'm talking about people like Moses and Paul, one in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. Man, if we become a church like this, imagine what, what can catch fire. The 12, the 11, and then uh, the 12th one who was chosen, the, they had this. It was easy for them to run with this. It's life for life. It's life on life. Life on life. And it's life to life. And what I mean by that is, Jacob, if you are really willing to do everything in your power with your life 
leave alone for someone outside of the church. If I did this for you, you would change dramatically. There are times when I do it for you. But if this was something that was really heartfelt in my heart, I guess if it's heartfelt, it has to be heart. Um, if it was really deep in my heart, you would be radically changed. Life for life, life on life, as in it is not some teaching or sermon or points that's given to you. It's always life on life. That we get to do somewhat okay in this church, but life for life. And then life to life, as in it, it, if this was real, guys, you would find that the people that you're working with go from normal life to another orbit, from normal life to divine life, from normal life to eternal life. You would find a change. It is impossible to stop this because the life you are pouring out is not yours to begin with. We talked about this last week, that the life that I have isn't mine to begin with. I live it in union with the anointed one who lives his life through me. So every time I pour this out and he is waiting. It's the way of the master, guys, and no cost is too high. It is the way of the master. No cost is too high. It is the way of the master. This is how Jesus did it. In John 15 verse 13, he says, Hey, I don't call you slaves anymore. I, call you, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you friends. And what is the best thing that a friend can do for another? The best thing that a friend can do for another is lay down his life for him. And we think that is Jesus' prerogative, not mine. Which reminds me of the other line in that song. That in giving myself away, regardless of whether the other person deserves it or not, whether the person has earned it or not, in giving myself away, the way of the master is fulfilled. Because there's that line in that song, you give yourself away. I did not earn it, nor did I deserve it. Guys, can you go and ponder on this? Can you let it first hurt you? It should hurt you first. It should hurt you because this is who Christ is and this is not who you are yet. And after it hurts you, after it pierces you, can you begin not to escape the piercing? Because what God can do with 12, what can he do with 70? It's the whole thing of giving oneself away. So much could change if I saw you as valuable as I am. So much could change if I saw you as valuable as me. I think I'm highly valuable. I think I'm dearly loved. I have a very good estimation of myself. But what if I had the ability to see you as valuable as me? What would I not do for you? It may not happen by tomorrow, guys. But my God, I've been... Yeah, I think I'd love to go down this route because it is the way of the master. Isaiah 43 verse 4 in the uh, NIRV, the New International Reader's Version, puts it very well. Isaiah 43 verse 4. Isaiah 43, verse 4. You are priceless to me, 
I love you and honor you. I'll trade other people for you. I'll give up nations to save your lives. I pray, God, that other people become priceless to me. I feel highly valuable. I feel I'm really valued by God. And I feel I'm valued by people too. I feel that I'm priceless to God. I feel I'm really loved and honored, but I wish I could see you like that. And you would get so much more from me if I did that. And the same applies to you then, towards others. Any questions, guys? Hey, we got to have causes like this, man. I don't want to die without having a cause that I would lay my life down for. And Christ can't be a cause. A cause that Christ has must become your cause. Go home and watch that scene. Eh? It's called One Last, One More Soul. It's just a three minute, 52 second clip. He's just crying out. To begin with, he's, there are bombs going off all over and he doesn't know what to do. And he's standing there and he says, I can't hear you. Oh God, I can't hear you. I don't know what to do next. I can't pick up a gun. I don't know what to do next. And then as he's saying, I can't hear you, God, he hears the scream of some person in pain and he knows what he has to do. And that begins the journey and keeps saying, oh God, one more soul. His hands are flayed because he's got to lower these people. He's got cuts and wounds and bruises and he's bleeding. Uh, and yet it is, can I have one more soul? One more soul. 75 people saved. He's the only conscientious objector to war who's been awarded the Medal of Honor. One more soul. Man, find a cause, man. We were born for stuff like this. My God, humans, especially ones that have been found by Christ and who have been paid for blood by Christ, now should become like him, where there must be a cause. What kind of life is it otherwise? It's this whole idea of the importance of one. Importance of one. It's that parable of the sheep. Leaves the 99. It's the importance of one. I want you to begin to go down that route. It is the importance of one. The importance of one. It is the importance of one. It is the one sheep that strays. It is the one woman by the well in Samaria that Jesus takes a detour uh, to meet or to encounter. It is the one man on a tree uh, whose name is Zacchaeus. It is the one eunuch uh, who is Ethiopian and he's going back to uh, serve Candace, the queen of Ethiopia. It is the one Paul who is riding a horse as a persecutor and gets knocked off it. One, one, one. It is this one baby or one little girl that is rescued, or one grown-up girl that is rescued, or one person who is retrieved from sure damage, death, destruction. That they end up as people that change the world is a separate thing. Many of them do. Paul became who he became. The woman in Samaria went and told the entire village. The demoniac in Gadarin went to the cities of Decapolis and preached the gospel. The Ethiopian went back 
to his country and Africa began to hear about Christ. Th that's a different thing. The outcome is not what it is. It is a value that is in the person. But we have to understand the importance of one. Where you, uh, where you look at someone and you realize that I, I may God, not bring to, God will not bring too many encounters into your life when you begin to go down this route. Which is why Jesus dealt with 12. But when you stand before somebody in your daily encounters or sometimes in your functional encounters, given what people is so easy, so quick, so fast, so dismissive. And now to sing what God is saying to you. God is saying to you, and we love those lines. When Betty gets into those four lines, she sings the first two lines low, and then the next two lines high, and she really puts on the writs. But what if it was not God singing to you, but you singing to somebody else? These emotions will wear out, guys. This is nice now. It touches your heart. It breaks my heart. But tomorrow, when there are no emotions, I still have to be able to... There's no shadow I won't light up. There is no mountain I won't climb up coming after you. There is no wall I won't kick down, no lie I won't tear down coming after you. These are, this is what deliverers are made of. This is the substance of their life. Ezekiel 34 verse 16 uh, from the NIR, we put it this way. And Jesus is talking about, God is talking about the shepherds of Israel. And he says, yeah, I'll be the kind of shepherd you want me to be. And he says, I'll search for the lost. I'll bring back those that have wandered away. I'll bandage the ones that are hurt. I'll make the weak ones stronger. I'll destroy those that are fat and strong. I'll take good care of my sheep. I'll treat them fairly. I'll treat them fairly. I'll search. There's this cool uh, motif in most of the lost coin, lost sheep story. There is the identity, as in identify what is lost, search for it, discover it. And then I'm always surprised at how joyful the response is after it's found. There's always a party once it's found. Both in the lost coin and the lost sheep, it is this idea of, yes, I've identified what's lost. Yes, I've gone searching for it. Yes, I've discovered it. Yes, I'm bringing it back. Yes, I am so joyful over this. You will know the depth of a joy you haven't known yet when you partner with God in this. You will know the depth of a joy you haven't known yet. It'll have such a divine quality to it. I think I'll stop here. Um, can you put up the song, So Will I? So starting in the next few weeks, we'll go down this road of what does it look, oh God, to be this kind of a person? What does it look to... Okay, there's no guitar, no piano. Can you sing this song with some meaning, guys? As much as you can muster. Because when we get to the part where it says God of salvation, it's pretty, uh, 
Hey, Jill, do you know how to play the piano? Do you, do you want to try this? Okay, no worries. Anyone else wants to give it a shot if you play the piano? Jeevan? No, Jeevan, it's okay. <laughs> okay, let's just uh, sing it without. So, Father, as we sing this song, um, there are parts of the song that are so uh, speaking into what we, uh, we've just talked about. Father, I plead with you for this change. It's critical to our existence. Because there's so much that you've given us, so much, but this must happen too. It's just the core of your heart, oh God. This is why you did what you did. And we need this. So don't deny us this. I know you won't. I'm just trying to tell you how desperate we are, how desperate I am for this in my own life and then for this in the church and for other churches that we are connected with. So as we sing this, Lord, it's just the beginning. Thank you for taking us through the wilderness. It was a really good trip, Father. Six weeks of really learning, encountering, finding. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, you spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. Change, guys, because I don't know the words. God of your promise, you don't speak in vain, no syllable empty or void. For once you have spoken, all nature and science follow the sound of your voice. And as you speak, a hundred billion creatures catch your breath. Evolving in pursuit of what you said. If it all reveals your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. If the stars were made to worship, so will I. If the mountains bow in reverence, so will I. If the oceans your greatness, so will I. For if ever So will I. If the wind goes where you send it, so will I. If the rocks cry out in silence, so will I. If the sum of still falls shy, then we'll sing again a hundred 
Okay, this is the part that I really wanted to sing. Um, look at the words first. We'll just go through them and then we can sing them. God of salvation, you chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created, the light of the world abandoned in darkness. Tonight. This is the whole idea of you cannot deliver that which you are not willing to lay your life down for, either in birth pangs or in death. Mothers do this, man. Next one. Next verse, sorry. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. Where you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. This is the encounters we'll have, eh? Eight billion different ways. Every precious one. One more soul, a child you die to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. Yeah, so let's just sing it. God of salvation, you chase down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die and as you speak a hundred billion failures disappear where you lost your life so i could find it here if you left the grave behind you so will i I can see your heart in everything you've done. Every part designed in a work of art called love. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart eight billion different ways. Every precious one, a child you died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. Like you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. We make this our prayer, oh God. We want to learn how to self-give. You gave everything. Sometimes it's easier to die. It's harder to live and give. Spirit of God, I just pray that as we set ourselves apart through both this teaching and through this song, that you, Holy Spirit, would come upon us for your own sake, for the sake of others who don't know you like this. So we look forward to what awaits. It says in Luke 4 that from then on, from that time on, and it talks about what Jesus did after the wilderness. That's what we look forward to now. So we bless you, Abba. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your kindness and your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.